This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Hello, and welcome to another World of UX podcast. This is your host, Darren Hood. Thanks for taking the time to join us on today. Special welcome to those of you joining us for the first time. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, we recently celebrated our three-year anniversary. Looking forward to continuing to produce through our fourth year on the airwaves, <laughs> so to speak, here. Uh, last week at the end of the the potpourri, I made mention that we were going to be returning to the interviews that we've been doing with the new UXers, and we've got them uh, on tap, ready to produce, but we're going to hold off. It's something that 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 came up last week has really stuck with me, and I am going to actually shift into another short series of of sessions that we're gonna we're gonna cover a specific topic that we did cover through. Uh, during during the potpourri, uh, and then we'll get back to the to the interviews after that. But something that's really been standing out to me a lot in discussions, observations, things of that nature had to do with what I mentioned in the last potpourri session about today's sinister culture of UX. It's, it's downright sinister today. There are a lot of things that are really working together to impact us in a tremendously detrimental way. And and I said at the end of last week's session, these things are not, this this is not doom saying, I have to say this for certain people because they're certain people get so neurotic about things. I want to, I want to sort of squash this up front, even though some folks aren't going to pay attention to it anyway, but I'm going to say it anyway. I'm not going to not say it because folks aren't going to listen. Some people are, and some people understand but this is not doom saying we but you can never overcome a problem unless you identify recognize and admit that it's there if 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 a problem is there a lot of people like to engage in ostrich effect bias where they see it they don't want to talk about it and they'd rather bury their head in the sand than deal with it they don't like when people talk about it they will begin to actually come at you when you talk about it instead of coming at the thing that needs to be addressed. I'm going, as always, I'm going to flat out address it. We're going to acknowledge it in full force. We're not going to engage in any denial whatsoever, but we need to call it out. And, and when you're aware of a problem and you make it known, you help other people, some people, and I've talked to people who who express their appreciation for for this type of an approach, this type of a voice and tone, because you you mentioned this thing that's out there. And some people will say, you know, I knew something was going on, but I couldn't put my finger on it or thank you for being so honest. Nobody's really talking about this stuff. And and so we don't do it for the accolades. We do it as a service to the UX community. And I'm not worried about the people who don't seem to appreciate it uh, because some of them, they do appreciate it, but they don't want to say they appreciate it because for whatever their other little reasons are. But we need to be aware of the fact that UX, I came into UX unbeknownst to me, 
before it was called UX back in 95. I started slowly doing the work more and more. I went from launching a freelance web design business where I did apply what we now know as various UX principles and methods, methodologies, techniques, things of that nature. I started doing it more and more part-time during my J job. And then eventually I I said, you know what? I love what I'm doing. It was, we were all mostly, most of us at any rate, were called information architects back at that time. I love this. I love what I'm doing. This is so fulfilling. It's so enriching. And there was nothing sinister that was going on at that time. Fast forward 2005, I got my first full-time UX-related gig. And, and then I noticed that more and more, because at the time, most of the jobs, I've said this several times before, most of the jobs that were available in UX circles were available at creative agencies. The best jobs, too, were available at UX agencies. There was initially a small pocket of corporation standard corporations, Fortune 50, Fortune 500, whatever. Uh, they, they were, there were a small pocket of them that where this work was being done in-house. They weren't dependent, wholly dependent, I should say, because some of them would depend on the agencies for certain things, but then they still had people in-house. And it just continued to grow and grow and grow. And in about 2011, there was an explosion, an absolute explosion, where UX-related jobs were available everywhere. By this time, the, the acronym was starting to become commonplace. People were starting to say UX everywhere. Job titles with UX in it were pop- popping up everywhere. And corporations wanted their piece of the pie. They knew about the ROI for every dollar you invest. The most mainstream message was that for every dollar you invest, you get uh, up to $100 in return, anywhere from 10 to 100 That was the mainstream aspect of the ROI message. And, and that was something that a lot of corporations loved the sound of, and they wanted their part. They heard it. They heard people talk about the benefits of having UX. And instead of depending upon the agencies to do it, they decided to start bringing the work in-house. The problem that came up, and this is the beginning of the sinister nature, the problem that came up was that companies were saying, yeah, okay, let's get somebody in here to do the UX stuff. And, but they were not becoming informed about what UX was, how the work was to be done. They just knew about the ROI. They didn't understand anything about the personas of the UX workers, nothing of that sort. So you have this explosion of, of jobs, which of course means that there's going to be a shortage of people to fulfill it. And then there's a shortage of people to fulfill all of these openings. Uh, you have, you don't have very many people that are qualified to do the work at all, but we got to fill these roles though. And so you had a bunch of people who saw this as an opportunity. This is when the UX boot camps launched. This is not when boot camps launched. Boot camps in the tech world and in the design world already existed. They didn't exist for UX. They existed for, in some cases, people who were learning how to do visual design. There were people who were learning how to become developers, learning how to become 
programmers, software engineers. They, you had people mostly that were going to university to learn how to do this, but people decided, you know what, this, this, this desire of, I don't want to go to a university. I don't want to spend that money. Can I learn this in a shorter period of time? What's starting to happen with the programming world. And because programming is a finite science, that is something that where people were able to go through a program for six months and then get hired. And they were still going to have to do some learning on the job. And they weren't going to be extremely polished across the board, every person that graduated. But these, these boot camps were producing people who at least you could work with and help them go to the next level. And a lot of people have done exactly that over the course of their career. There was no, no question about that. I've seen it. I've seen people who didn't, but you know, that that's, that's the way of the world. That's the way things are going to go. Someone decided, someone had the epiphany that, Hey, if we're doing that with visual designers and we're doing that with programmers, why can't we do that to help meet this need of a lack of qualified individuals when it comes to UX? Let's roll out UX boot camps. And that's what they did. This happened in 2011. Now the door of what I'm referring to today as the sinister culture of UX opened. It, it just They just kicked it wide open because... Programming was a finite science. UX is a science. It is. A lot of people don't know that, including a lot of practitioners. But it's an infinite science. And, and it, can, it can shift and it can move. It can morph. All you have to do is change form factors. I was working at a company, at a creative agency, when the iPhone came out. And nobody was really working, not, not too much, was working on apps. But when the iPhone came out, that changed everything. And so now we've got to take these experiences and new experiences, and we need to make it available in this small form factor. Remember, those first phones were small. And you've got to go from this <laughs> 640 by 480 and and, and uh, 1080 by 960, all these other these other resolutions and we've got to pare this down and, and provide a, an experience that's desirable, delightful, useful, practical. We need to do that in a small form factor. And, and, and I, I learned very early on about the pervasiveness of UX and we were able to make those things work. We were able to get it done. The, the, the sinister nature, however, when you go to 2011 was about people coming into the discipline, trying to get them ready, but they, they, the curriculums were not developed the right way from the beginning. The thought that you could learn how to be a UX professional in six months, nobody evaluated whether or not that was really doable. It, it wasn't, and it still isn't today. And, and the boot camps. Some some 13 years later are still uh, uh, have, through an assembly line are are just graduating people like gangbusters and they're not ready because UX is not just about the work. 
It's about the relationships. It's about collaboration. It's about emotional intelligence. It's about a whole lot of other things. Whereas the people who are doing the programs, they don't have to do the things that we do on the UX side. None of these things are included in the in the boot camps whatsoever. So it, it became a really a propaganda type of a deal where people say, hey, you can get a, a job. We guarantee you a job. Hey, you can learn this in six months. And people started believing it. They wanted it so bad that they were willing to just turn off their critical thinking and come into this arena with rose-colored glasses on. And coming into UX with rose-colored glasses on does not bode well for the people who come into UX with the rose-colored glasses. Now, of course, I know everybody wasn't like that. And there were a lot of people, the vast majority were. Let's get that out of the way. The vast majority were and are, still are to this day. The... The rose-colored glasses don't help because it takes critical thinking to do work in UX at a successful level of operation. A person must be committed to critical thinking, must be committed to academic thinking, and that simply means that you're willing to examine everything. It's a, it's a stone's throw from, from, academic, from critical thinking because uh, academic thinking, you want to prove everything out. You want to you dive into everything. You want, you want an explanation behind Everything that's the mindset that it takes to excel at UX, which a lot of people simply don't have and don't want it because part of what happened with the propaganda, and this is what fed into the sinister culture of UX, it 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 had people thinking that you could accomplish this, you could come into this arena, and not only will it not take you much work to prepare yourself. But it's not really going to require much work after you get into it. Both of these are lies. Both are lies. So this is the foundation of the sinister culture of UX, where you have the the massive opening of jobs, or availability of jobs, the 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 boot camps kicked off, and and then expectations. People started fabricating who they were. To start to get getting some of these roles, like, I'm not going to a boot camp. I'm not doing this. I'm just going to say I've been doing the work, and that's what a lot of people started doing. All of these things took an arena that had no misinformation, an arena that if you were qualified, you could prove that you were qualified. There were a few things that were happening. I just remembered that were going on where, and those are all just always the case. So that's not. It, it, they're they're part of the sinister culture. The the way that some people the 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 isms the the nepotism the cronyism the racism the sexism the ageism those things just always are. We're not including those as a part of the the sinister culture of UX because it just it just that's just prof- the professional world. That's just a thing. But during this topic, I'm going to present twenty different traits. That are that are signs of today's sinister culture of UX. I'm going to talk about the ones that are they might be applicable in other disciplines, but these are 20 of the key traits that I'm seeing. And and we've already been going at this now roughly for about 15 minutes. So I'm only going to cover two today. And we're going to call this a short episode as I lay the foundation for this for this discussion. And, and and who's to say it might extend beyond 20, 
the goal is to cover the 20 that I already have laid out here. So let's cover the two. Now, part of it I've already alluded to, and so this sort of fits into it, uh, uh, what I've already been elaborating on in this foundation. Number one, there are massive numbers of people to, today in 2023. There are massive numbers of people entering the discipline who have a jaded and unrealistic view of what user experience actually is and what they can expect in coming into the discipline. Now, this is akin to the rose-colored glasses that I mentioned, but what we have is people, you know what? I like UX. You see it everywhere. I think I'm going to transition into this. I think I like this. What they see about UX that they like is valid. There's I, I, I've talked to several people who always say, I and you hear their story, and they talk about how much they loved that initial exposure to UX. And a lot of these people are the, the pure-hearted people that are coming into it that they see it, and they really they fall in love with it, and they want to be in UX because they really like what they're being exposed to. That's something you can build a career on. That's not sinister. There's nothing sinister about that whatsoever. The sinister part is this: the, the what I just mentioned. <laughs> they they enter the discipline and they're jaded and they're unrealistic. They they come in. They think that it doesn't take anything to learn. They think that it doesn't take anything to do the work. I remember seeing somebody once thinking that they conducted research because they they simply took some designs, held them up in front of people, and asked them, which one do you like better? Thought they were done with the research and, and were coming back basically talking about how exhaustive, how exhausting that was. They didn't do anything at all. Matter of fact, I was helping with, I helped them convert that over to something where they could test the designs to see which ones perform better, trying to help them to get out of this thing where they're asking people for opinions. And, and they loved what was recommended. They loved the little mini lab that we set up to conduct these tests. And I helped, again, help them to do all of these things. And, and this is a can, this is a sidebar to because uh, this is not something that's on the list, but it happened in this scenario that I'm talking about. The whole the whole effort, this modified effort was successful. They were able to drive success. They were able to communicate with stakeholders and tell them, give them sound, synthesized information and recommendations on the direction to go. But they did all of it while they were pushing me aside and pretending that I wasn't part of it. They liked what I said so much that they decided to jettison me from having had a part in it. They were willing to fabricate their contribution to what happened, make it look like they did more than what they did, and then try to gain the benefits of everything that was done. They pretended like I wasn't even there. I was in the meetings, and they, they even acted like I wasn't in the room while the meeting was taking place when they were talking about the solutions. This is enough. This is part of the sinister aspect of UX. People who don't want to give credit to anyone, people who want to act like they know more than what they really do. You have the Dunning Kruger folks where people believe they're somebody that they're not. And then you have the people that are flat out actors. They're, they're just, and some people talk about UX theater today. 
and and but but you know the, there's UX theater and then there's UX actors, and and these people were flat out actors, and and the funny thing is these same people, they had an unrealistic view. They were jaded in their mindsets of what UX was. Uh, I remember one person making a presentation, having it shot down. It's normal. That that's something I've been seeing my entire career, where you present something and somebody doesn't like it because they're biased or, um, you know, they they've got a thousand reasons why they they like something or don't like something or want to go a different direction, and the person became so upset that they turned beet red, they were just about to lose it because of what everybody did. Now I have felt that way at certain points in times over my career, and you know what? When I was in that frame of mind, I was jaded and unrealistic because I was upset and and I was ready to, I didn't know what I was going to do about the discipline. I couldn't believe that these folks were in the position to, to, and they were willing to reject all the great research that was done and all the design recommendations. This makes absolutely no sense. And I was 100% right. It didn't make any sense. It was silly. But I was unrealistic. I was jaded because we cannot be married to our design recommendations. We can't be married to our work at all. And folks will shoot it down all the time. It is our job to to advocate for users. It's our job to make the best recommendations, the most expert recommendations that we can. And you can do that and it can still be rejected. It can still be turned down by your clients and by your stakeholders. And you know what? I did my job. We'll move on to the next, to the next project. We'll, we'll move on to the next initiative. And, and, and that's, we, so we have to learn. I overcame my jaded mindset. I overcame my unrealistic view of how things go in UX. But these people insist. They, they many times will learn that's not the way it is. Don't be married to it. They refuse to to let go of that mindset. They they think that everything over here is peaches and cream and unicorns and cotton candy, and it's not. And, and, and a lot most of us had a mindset like that at one time. But if you have the right level of EQ, you're going to come out of that. A lot of people today don't have the EQ, but that's not the bad part because there's a point in time when when we just didn't have the EQ. They don't want it. That makes it sinister. When you have people who who just flat out absolutely refuse to embrace what they should embrace, no matter how you present it to them, no matter how what kind of data you show them that says this is the mindset you should have, they just don't care. They think that it is wonderful over here. You have this massive number of people, again, entering the discipline does it make sense that you have people, entry-level positions will always be, for practically every discipline out there, entry-level positions are always at the bottom of the food chain when it comes to the volume of available positions. I have no idea why people think that they can flood into UX and then get upset because X number of months later, and in some cases years, they still don't have anything. It, it's it's a small entry-level market for a discipline that's not well understood and for a discipline that has poor leadership 
from organization to organization to organization, recruiters don't know what they're doing on average when they're looking for UX people. The, the hiring managers don't know what they're doing a lot of times. And a lot of the hiring managers were put in the position by default. They didn't get it because they were qualified. They got it because they defaulted into it. So you take all of these things, put it into the pot of soup and stir it up. It doesn't taste very well. That's just the reality of UX today. It's just the reality. So if that's the reality of it, how in the world you look at the Google program, which I will also talk about later in this series, 300,000 graduates, I heard, over 300,000 quote-unquote graduates, because that has to be taken with a grain of salt, a huge grain of salt, a mountain of salt, (laughs) practically. Um, How in the world are 300,000 people graduating from something and think that there's this fantastic career awaiting them when there's no more than 3 to 4% of the the positions, entry-level positions, or positions in UX that are entry level. So that means you have theoretically 300,000 people competing for the same handful of positions. That makes no sense. So that that's sinister. And, and, and we're not talking about what's intentional, what's unintentional. We're simply talking about what's reality. And the reality is that back when, when I was younger, and I don't think people do this at all anymore, there was something called an occupational handbook. And you could... Go to it, and you could look at a a discipline that you think you might be interested in, and it would tell you everything that was going on in the market about that position. Now, I have checked recently, last I checked about a year ago, and the Occupational Handbook says absolutely nothing about user experience, so it doesn't provide those insights. There are That's what we would do. Hey, I want to be X. I, at one time, I wanted to be a, a CAD designer, a, a computer-aided design professional. And so I was able to go sit at the university, go through the occupational handbook, talk to counselors about what I wanted to do as I was continuing to pursue my my associate's degree at the time and and get insights so I could have a sound grasp on what to expect, what the market was projected to be like at a certain time. Um, That information, again, it's not available through the occupational handbook yet, last I checked, but it is available through other sources, you can get that information. So people are coming into UX basically blind. They don't know what to expect with the work. They're not learning how to do the, the work the right way. And and so now that makes it sinister because of, of this, this viewpoint that simply is totally unrealistic. And this feeds into point number two that we'll wrap up on today, that fool's gold is the order of the day. People... They some people get positions and the positions aren't realistic. They don't have real leaders. They're not doing real UX work. The the we promise you a job, that's fool's gold. You're gonna learn everything you can about UX in six months, that's fool's gold. Uh come over here and you today you'll be an entry-level person when they do get jobs sometime and and in a year they're being referred to as lead or principal. That's a fool's gold title. And so all of these things, all this misdirection and all of this misinformation and all of these skewed perspectives, they're all fool's gold. People have, they think it's gold and it's not. It's just pyrite. It has traces of gold in it, 
but it's pyrite. It, it will get you nothing. And, and it's not until someone runs into the proverbial brick wall that they recognize that what they thought they had and what they thought they knew and what they thought they did, it was never anything that they had perceived. So fool's gold, it is the order of the day to the extent that when you offer somebody real gold, they don't even, they're so jaded that they don't even have any interest in the real gold. And that goes back to my always saying that people don't have a filter. It's not, people don't just not have filters. They don't have a detectors. Critical thinking is like an endangered mindset today. But if you want to thrive in UX, it's critical that you have critical thinking. It's critical that you that you excel in emotional intelligence. And there are books, I've got book recommendation lists on EQ that actually tell you this is something you can develop. If you didn't have emotional intelligence for the first two, three, four, five, ten years of your professional career, that doesn't mean you can't get it. And and when you get it, you start to see things differently. And the thing that you welcome with open arms at one time, you'll flat out reject it because of the critical thinking, because it becomes easy to see the the things that are not in our best interest. So at any rate, I'm going to stop there for today. We've got a whopping 18 things to cover left on this list. But today, the first two traits, the massive numbers of people entering UX with an inaccurate mindset, don't know what they're looking for, don't know what they expect, and what they do expect is not realistic. It's fool's gold. Number two, it's fool's gold. And, and the fool's gold mindset, is it's the order of the day. Most people embrace it. That's why you have so much of the, the garbage that's being uh, published on YouTube and on uh, on LinkedIn, uh, on on Medium, on Reddit, uh, because peep fool's gold is welcomed. And it's welcomed because, hey, it's fool's gold. They call it fool's gold because somebody thought, saw it and thought that it was gold, but they weren't. That makes the person a fool. It, it's critical. Hey, it is what it is. If you want to do these things the right way in UX today, it's critical. People will say, and I've talked to people, there are no standards. Yeah, there are. How, how do we know? There's We can't even agree. We can't agree because you're factoring in people that don't know what, what, what it is that they're looking at. We can't take people who don't know. I mean, do you realize that if you brought a bunch of kids into a room, a bunch of five-year-olds into a room and started having conversations about budgeting that you couldn't get the kids to understand what you were talking about. And you could be an expert on the subject. You could be a PhD on the subject and, and the kids will not agree with you. You can't bring somebody in who doesn't know, talk about their reaction and then use their reaction as some kind of a factual base. So it's people don't agree because they didn't learn UX the right way because they were, they were fed fool's gold and they start liking the taste of it and they start basing everything they were doing on that. So if we're going to write the ship, look at that old talk I did on the UX cycle of excellence. It's critical. We have a sinister culture of UX today for the most part, because people bypass that. They, they bypass those things because 
you wouldn't have a jaded perspective. You wouldn't have an unrealistic perspective and you wouldn't have a desire for fool's gold and an attitude that would reject real's gold if somebody didn't have a sinister nature at work. And, and But sadly, again, this is the culture of UX today. This is the beginning. Learning about this is the beginning of overcoming it. So if we can understand the sinister culture of UX, begin rejecting it, find out what we should have in its place, you will then begin ascending the right way. That's all for today, folks. We are going to pick up on this topic next week. So until then, it is time to sign off. So this is Darren Hood, the host of The World of UX, wishing you all the best. And until next time, happy UXing, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.